You're listening to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. I'm your co-host, Lizzie, and this is Dean. We'll be covering all topics relating to health, fitness, and bodybuilding. Join us as we use our in-the-trenches experience and up-to-date science to provide you with information that you can actually use. If you like what we do, be sure to give us a like, follow, share, and tag us on social media. All right, so pumped to be back with episode two for 2024. I can't believe we're halfway through January already. God damn. But here we are. And speaking of here we are, we are here in Argentina. We arrived, well, yesterday was our first full day. And thus far, I think I'm really going to like this place. It's got Mexico City vibes. Yeah. Um, I'm really looking forward. We've got a great little apartment. It's nice and quiet. We have a pool in our apartment. I'm so excited for the pool. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, day one, you were already beside it. So Yeah. yeah. Both in it and beside it. Okay. Now, um, for those of you that aren't familiar with the economic situation in Argentina, which I imagine is nearly everybody listening to this because that's not our audience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Dean, you're going to give us a really quick explanation of this blue rate situation. All right. You have your standard foreign exchange rate. Okay. Let's just say that was 200 pesos to one Australian dollar. Okay. Then you have a black market rate, which is what you can get on the black market. Let's say that was 800 pesos. Which is illegal and often people get like counterfeit bills and stuff. So yeah. it's not ideal. Uh, there's, a, there's a market rate known as the blue rate, which is actually a legally recognized rate and they, the government just let it happen. And it usually sits somewhere between the, the actual foreign exchange rate and the black, black market, market rate. rate. And basically you can go and you can exchange your money for that rate and get two to th- two, two to three times the value of, of what you would normally get if you were just paying with a card or getting, you know, an exchange at an exchange. Um, or getting money out of an ATM or something yeah, like that. So. Yeah. So it's crazy. And, and okay, so we, Dean and I both have wallets because in some countries we go to, we can't rely on cards because lots of places don't take cards. I actually need to buy a new wallet because inflation here is so wild that um, like a stick of gum will cost you a thousand pesos, mm. right? Um, and how much did we pay for dinner last night? Like 29,000 pesos. 29,000 pesos. Our groceries was 89,000. Oh. And, and she, she made us do it in two lots because it was actually 115,000 pesos. But right. she's like, I can't take more than 100,000 pesos at once. <laughs> so we had to do our groceries <laughs> in two lots. So carrying around that amount of cash like Dean's little man bag is just full of cash, like wads. I'm basically Pablo Escobar. Basically Pablo Escobar. Yeah. I, I literally can't fit enough money in my wallet to pay for lunch. So I'm going to need to buy, like, I don't know, some sort of sturdy, like literally an envelope mm. to fit into my wallet. So that's wild. Um... <laughs> it makes for quick conversions to be a little bit more difficult also as, yeah. as two individuals were trying to learn spanish we got pretty good at numbers just recently when we left valencia we did but really we only had to worry about like in the hundreds right because we're, we're buying lunch for 15 euros yeah so now we have to learn the next step which we already know is like you say the word mill <laughs> 29,347 pesos <sighs> so many numbers to hear yeah it's so many numbers for yeah. sure yeah um okay and they absolutely love barbecue here Beef everywhere. Mm. Argentinians are known for their beef. Yep. Parisha. Parisha. Is that what it's called? That is the type of grill that they, they, they do here. Ah, okay. P-A-R-I-L-L-A. Right. There you go. Yeah. Um, okay. On to today's episode. What are we doing, Dean? We are doing a repeat episode. Would you call it a repeat episode? We call them replays, my friend. Replay. That's mm-hmm. it. So we're doing a replay episode. 
of Gabby Fundero. Uh-huh. Not Funduro, which you have called her many times in the past. To her face. Uh, but this is this is a um, a great episode that's called You Don't Know Shit About Your Gut. Uh-huh. So we recorded this back in, I think it was 2020. Ah, oh, surely earlier than oh, that. Oh, I don't know. 2019? I don't know. We recorded it with her a long time ago. And I, the, so the reason we've decided to replay it is we're still seeing a million gut health myths, myths um, on Instagram, people talking about it, people not really understanding it, people spending all this money on like gut health supplements. And it's very much misled. So we wanted to reshare this episode because it teaches you about gut health. Um, what are the myths? What do we know? What do we not know? And hopefully it can help people make better decisions around gut health supplementations, around food, around exercise and stress management, yeah. all of that stuff to well, save yeah. you your energy and money. Like focusing on actually what may influence uh-huh. your gut, which I think is like a, an important word for people to realize here. It's about influencing, influencing. things, not necessarily specifically changing. Them. Step number one, choose better parents. <laughs> yeah. I mean, start there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, abide by otherwise, you know, normative healthy behaviors like exercise and stress relief. Don't drink like an asshole. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. You don't need to listen to the podcast anymore. It's all done. Right. No, right. We've summarized podcast. it for you. Gabby, Gabby is uh, an incredible podcast guest. So mm-hmm. it's cool to uh, do this replay. She is. So thank you again, Dr. Gabby, uh, back in 2019, 2020. Could have been 2021. Look, I don't of, remember. I think of podcasts now as places of which we were. You know, I, I know, I know, yeah. I remember which house we were yeah, in in the Gold Coast. Yeah, so. so that's what I was thinking. What year were we living in that house? Um, okay, bro. Enjoy. Dean, final words. You don't know shit about your gut. All right. But you're about to know more. You are. Let's go. Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of the Flex Success podcast where we teach you what are we teaching you? How to be less shit. That is what we're teaching you. <laughs> and amazingly, today, uh, we're probably going to teach you how to be more quality shit than less shit because we've got a new <laughs> expert on today, Dr. Not Gavin. the Poospert. We've decided not to go with the Poospert. <laughs> we've had a prior discussion. Poospert sounds wrong. Uh, and <gasps> none of us currently have any issues with our bowels. <laughs> no, I've no. got very healthy bowels, actually, just if anyone's wondering. Um, <laughs> Dr. Gabby, would you like to tell the audience who you are, what you do and why you do it? Oh yeah. I don't know if I can do better than Poospert, but I thought maybe like export, like okay. with, you know, a little play on that. Um, I try not to call myself an expert though, because I think that that sounds really pretentious. So I like to say that, um, I am a gut microbiome science communicator, Um, I did my PhD in the area of gut microbiome, specifically looking at the interplay between gut microbiome and skeletal muscle metabolism. Um, That was years ago before gut health was such a big hot topic. It was sort of a thing that no one talked about or really seemed to care about. I was in this little like niche area, which happens when when you're doing a PhD. Um, So I finished that out at Virginia Tech um, here in the U.S., and then I was an assistant professor of exercise science for four years. In my last year, I was um, discovered, I guess, by Dr. Mike Isratel of Renaissance Periodization, and that's when I started consulting for them as a nutrition coach. 
And then in the past year, I have also started my own uh, video coaching business, Vitamin PhD Nutrition. So um, I do, I feel like I wear a lot of hats because I, I do different types of coaching with RP versus uh, my own business. And then, you know, obviously I have the great pleasure of being able to speak internationally on the gut microbiome and behavior change. Um, so yeah, that's, that's who I am and why do I do it? Um, I just have this morbid curiosity about people's poop, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really, not really. Um, yeah, I just like talking about poop. Um, I actually used to be super, super private about everything bowel related. Like I was in a very long-term relationship and I don't think we like passed gas in front of each other in like, th you know, over three years. Um, so, so that has changed because I've like been on the internet talking about how I used to ha uh, have, you know, irritable bowel syndrome and things like that. So um, it was really just because I was curious about why we were doing some of the tests we were doing with rodents um, in my PhD. And that's how I came to realize that the gut played such an important role in skeletal muscle metabolism. And now I think that it's really important to dispel myths and bring clarity because I think that knowledge empowers clients to make informed decisions, um, saving their time, money, money and energy for things that can actually work. Yeah, because we see so much stuff uh, from Insta models mm. selling all mm. sorts of <laughs> fancy things around gut health. But before we dive into that, can you maybe give us um, a boiled down definition of what gut health is and then maybe also what it isn't? Because I think everyone's familiar with the term gut health, but it's just this sort of shadow of a question of like, okay, I know it's a thing, but like, like, like gluten, I know what gluten is, but what is it really? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> gluten, us. gluten is bread to people. That's basically all. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And, and gut, gut health is, is do you walk around semi-pregnant all day? Like, yes, I do. Oh my God, my gut is ruined. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's important to sort of differentiate between um, the gut, you know, the idea of gut health versus the gut microbiome. So gut health can refer to the anatomy and physiology of the gastrointestinal tract. So that's our human cells. And that includes the absorptive cells of the intestinal tract and also the immune cells because they're interacting with each other. So we can look at just in, in terms of structure and function, are things working the way that they should be? Are we having comfortable bowel movements? Are we having manageable amounts of gas? Um, can we handle the smell? Things like that. You know, or are we experiencing a lot of bloating and discomfort? Or do we perhaps have um, a, a disease or a collection of symptoms that would make a syndrome? That's different from the gut microbiome. So the gut microbiome refers to all of the cells and the genetic material of the microorganisms that live in our gastrointestinal tract. And those interact with our intestinal cells as well and with really all, probably all of the cells of our body in some way, directly or indirectly. So sometimes things that are good for the gut microbiome, like fermentable fibers, can actually cause us to feel unpleasant symptoms like bloating. That doesn't necessarily mean that we have bad gut health. So when we say terms like gut health, you're right, it really doesn't have a clear meaning. It's kind of a marketing term right now because it's so huge, it encompasses so many things, and we have such a um, minuscule understanding compared to the, the magnitude of the organisms and the interactions there. So gut health is sort of a buzzword right now, but um, when I'm coaching clients, I really talk more about like digestive comfort. So if you're having you know, digestive issues, yeah, we can work on that. 
I'm not going to make big claims about actually being able to modulate the gut microbiome, those microorganisms, because it's very unclear how we can actually, whether we can actually do that to what extent. And we haven't actually established a causal relationship between the gut microbiome and anything, mm. anything. So we don't have a cause and effect. So even though people are like, oh, bad gut health can lead to X, Y, and Z, oh, back up. We don't know that. We just know that sometimes they may correlate, they may happen at the same time, but we can analyze things in ways to cause correlations to occur. Mm. Yeah. So with that in mind, would you say that like oh, the huge expansive array of products on the market to improve your gut health, whatever that means, uh, is just a load of, you know, something from the Harry Potter movie? Yeah, pretty much. So it's, um, you know, there are, there are lifestyle um, considerations. So there are ways that we can live our lives that are protective of our health overall. Does that mean that we're going to be able to significantly affect the microbiome or do something, you know, to X, Y, and Z blank gut health? We don't know. But it just so happens that these things tend to lead to positive health outcomes, like exercising regularly, um, eating a diet that's high in, in polyphenols, which will come from fruits and vegetables and whole grains. Um, you know, trying to maintain a body composition that's supportive of health and protective against disease. It's really just these, these basic things that we can say are protective of human health and tend to also correlate with some of the indices of um, quote-unquote gut health that we right now think are probably good things, like yeah. diversity, you know? So, but, but when we make these claims about, um, you know, detoxes or specific diets that are going to starve out bad bacteria and only feed the good bacteria, um, most of the things that make really specific claims about modulating the microbiome in some way or um, that they're making claims about certain tests being um, diagnostic outside of a doctor's office, outside mm. of a um, specific doctor's offices, because some that say that their doctors will still use invalid tests. So there are some tests that we can use for diagnostic purposes, but something that's going to just, you know, look at the profile of your gut microbiome, we can't make a diagnostic claim from that. We don't have those causative links established yet. So yeah, a lot of it is sort of just money-making venture. Yeah, and that would be the reason why so many people claim that they can diagnose you and they can cure you because they're after your pennies. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I was you gonna had say a it's almost on candida, didn't you? Well, eventually, I'll jump to that in a second, but it's, uh, it's almost like because it's so non-specific, gut health, and it's all mm -hmm. based around associations, it's almost mm -hmm. easier for, I'll do the quote-unquote professionals, uh, to make claims because there's no way to really test the efficacy of their suggestions, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And most of the time, um, they'll be, people will see improvements despite the fact that that test or intervention was invalid and did nothing. It's just coincidentally, they may have reduced uh, a fermentable fiber or some food that, you know, is universally maldigested by humans. Mm. And so like anyone who overeats that would feel bad. Um, and then in some cases, some people may have uh, enhanced intolerances or enzyme deficiencies. So they just by chance remove one of those foods, they feel a lot better. And then they use that because of confirmation bias, it looks like, oh, that thing worked or that test was accurate. Um, so yeah, they, it's, uh, 
it's smart on on the side of the people who are marketing those things. I mean, that's that's really if you don't have um, if you don't know any better, it like makes a lot of sense. You know, we, we can bank on these logical fallacies to sort of like prove what we're doing. Yeah, that's such a shame, and you see that spill over into other industries as well. Like even the weight loss industry. Um, mm where people are making like wild claims about their particular product and weight loss, but really there was just a correlation between their 100 calorie diet shake replaced from the, you know, the 800 pasta meal that they were eating. But you know, these yeah. wild claims that, oh, the shake worked, it must be this magical thing that it's I'm doing. It's the magical harsh, harsh circle of the isogenics staff, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's Smash and grab, get them low on the scale weight, then they shit the bed and go back to the original diet. <laughs> What worked? Oh, actually, the isogenics diet worked. I'll go back to that one, and then they go back. Yeah, and they're just mm -hmm. praying on people's ignorance, really. It's such a shame. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago that, you know, we, we don't want to focus on one particular thing within the gut and, like, reduce or increase. And then Dean had a question around candida that I thought to follow on from that. Yeah, it's kind of one that's been around for a while, right? Like, most people now talk about gut health universally as this big thing that we can potentially manipulate. Whereas candida, I suppose, has had the high specificity to it for years where people say, I have candida overgrowth, therefore now I can never mm -hmm. eat sugar again. Mm -hmm. uh, so I mm -hmm. thought it might be uh, pertinent, given who's on, myself, to talk about what actual candida overgrowth is and then whether mm -hmm. or not we do actually have some particular strategies that people can follow or should, should I consider if they do have presence and if they know if it's actually a problem. Yeah, so um, the idea of candida overgrowth in the gut is actually one that has not reached consensus yet in the literature. So um, one thing that is important to note is that candida is not going to be wiped out entirely. We can't pinpoint a specific, a specific microorganism and eradicate it. We can't do that with even, even with antibiotics. You take an antibiotic, it's going to affect all of the bacteria present. So candida is actually a type of yeast, and it's actually uh, a normal inhabitant of the gut. So we wouldn't even want to completely eradicate it. That'd be like taking, you know, there are some things in the ecosystem that maybe we would like to do without, like maybe mosquitoes. Yeah. Right, exactly. So it's like, oh, awesome. We're going to eradicate all mosquitoes and like no one has to deal with mosquito bites anymore. Great. Well, no, because that's going to then have an impact on the rest of the ecosystem. So we can't do that. And there's not a way to do that anyway. Yeah, I know. Too bad. It's like kind of bummer. But <laughs> so it's the same thing with candida. So we actually do need that um, inhabitant of the gut. We just want to make sure that just like all other microorganisms, it's, it's abundant in uh, amounts that are relative, uh, appropriate relative to the rest of the microbes there. What that amount is, well, there's a huge range. So again, we don't have a consensus that in the gut, candida overgrowth uh, even exists or is a problem or is linked to any of the other issues that people on the internet would link it to. We do see that that can happen um, in biofilms that form around implants. So in that case, that could potentially occur, but we can see other sort of issues. And this is happening in other parts of the body, like you have a hip implant or something like that. So yeah, then you could have potential um, uh, fungal overgrowth uh, occurring on that site. But in the gut, we don't really have strong evidence that biofilms are a real problem because there's so much movement there and the bacteria exist in sort of a, they, they exist in their planktonic state. So they're kind of like floating around in the medium for the most part. 
Hmm. Um, now, in terms of the, the candida type diets, so people will, will say, oh, I can't eat sugar again, or, you know, there are certain foods that they have to avoid, refined carbohydrates and things like that. Now, if we're avoiding refined carbohydrates, we might have some positive health outcomes from that. It might reduce our caloric intake, might reduce the energy density of the diet. Maybe we're making more nutritious choices. Okay, that's fine. That doesn't mean that we've done anything to the gut. The irony here is that when we're talking about microbial overgrowth, most of the time we're going to be talking about that happening uh, in the colon or the large intestine. And the refined carbohydrates are going to be taken up by us, our intestinal cells in the small intestine. So they wouldn't even really reach the large intestine anyway. If we do assume that it's an overgrowth happening in the small intestine and we reduce refined carbohydrate intake, well, guess what? They're going to be using other substrates. They can use fibers. They can use amino acids. So again, we're not, being, we're not able to just pinpoint that specific microbe. If we make a dietary change, yes, we may impact the whole profile of the microbiome, but we can't just pinpoint one microorganism. We can't do a candida cleanse. We wouldn't want to get rid of that anyway. And because there's really no consensus in the literature on whether that's actually a problem, um, it's really looking a little bit more like it's just kind of a scapegoat. And one of those things that, again, people can kind of use because it's so general, like, oh, are you feeling fatigued? Do you have dry skin? You know, things like that. They're like, oh, candida overgrowth. Um, now, can you have a, a vaginal yeast infection? Yes, absolutely. But the thing is, when we're looking at the vaginal microbiome, it's much less diverse and much less uh, abundantly populated than in the gut. So it is a little bit easier to have some bacterial overgrowth, um, and that might be uh, uh, yeast or it might be other bacteria that you know we get outside of that normal range of relative abundance, and that causes issues. Yeah, awesome. There's something about the word yeast that makes me cringe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's worse when you put it with the word moist. <laughs> oh yeah yeah no i was just uh, i was at whole foods the other day i don't know if you guys have that out there but they have like uh and i don't usually uh, shop we do there have whole but foods in australia we're not that far behind. oh i didn't know we did i mean actually. oh okay Play oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> this is just like a this is a super pretentious i think uh grocery store sorry for the brand or whatever but um they have a really good like hot foods bar so i went in to get some snacks and there was this woman standing in front of the buffet reading on her phone and like like, I was just like, oh, excuse me, like trying to get around because she was like right there. And I just kind of like noticed that she was like reading very intently about like candida overgrowth. And I think she was probably wondering, like, can I eat these foods if I have candida overgrowth? And I want to be like, oh, honey, like, don't don't read that. Just, you, you, can eat, you can eat the couscous salad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a friend who, um, starting with the two, who did the Candida diet for, uh, I'm going to say years, years. Wow. Well, off, off and on for years. Yeah, and impacted her life in a, in a huge way, her social life, obviously, just like, mm -hmm. uh, I, I guess she felt better for different reasons when she was on the diet and she thought, woohoo, it must be working. And then she thought she could go back to her original diet and then that didn't work out too well for her. So she was yo-yoing on and off and mm. man, it just, yeah. it really spilled over to everything. Well, I think that's because there's this like perpetual uh, perception of that it's very hard to get rid of or that you have to do extreme mm -hmm. things. And then when the extreme things don't yeah. work, it's almost like, fuck, this is going to stick with me for life. So then they go back. Yeah. To, I think it's that typical, like really, it's almost like a binge style cycle of dieting for candida. But Oh yeah. It sounds yeah. like to me, just to clarify for yourself, it sounds like uh, testing for candida is maybe being misused in the same way that say like IgG tests and all that kind of stuff are. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we do have tests that can measure, based on genetic material, the uh, relative abundance of microorganisms in the gut. So you send in a fecal sample, and then that company sends back to you your results, um, showing you here are the uh, fungi, the archaea, the bacteria that are in your gut. Um, sometimes I think they can also show you the, um, the viruses that are present, bacteriophages. So we have all these all these ohms, so we have the microbiome, but we also have um, within that, like looking at the virome, so the viruses, all these different groups of genetic material. And just like barcodes, we can kind of identify who's there um, based on that material. But we can't really use that, uh, those types of tests for diagnostic purposes. Mm. So it's very important to keep that in mind. If, you are, if, if your doctor suspects that you do have a pathogenic infection, then they can do a validated diagnostic test to look for some of the really virulent things like C. diff or H. pylori or to test for parasites. But one of these kind of at-home tests um, it's not validated for diagnostic use. So we have to be very careful with how we're interpreting that. It would be, it's like getting the 23andMe, you know, where you're looking at like your family history. It's really interesting and fun to look at, but there are some significant limitations um, just in terms of, you know, the sample preparation. So you're collecting it at home uh, and then it's transported. And then depending on how they process it there, you can really bias uh, the type of information that you're getting. And it's also just the fecal microbiome. So and it's actually significantly different from what's going on in the uh, more proximal ends of your colon. So those that are closer to the small intestine and very different from what's happening in the small intestine. And even when you look at the uh, mucus, uh, the mucosal inhabitants versus the luminal inhabitants. So basically the ones that are in the mucus that are close to the intestinal cells versus the stuff that's in the tube part that's actually gonna be coming out with your feces that's different too. So if it sounds complicated, it kind of is. And that's part of the reason why it's really important that we're not, you know, using these at home fecal tests for diagnostic purposes. Yeah. Mm. Because it is so complicated, I guess uh, marketers need to really water it the fuck down so that people think they understand it and then think there's this product that can help. Speaking of which last night I got on um, uh, Insta story and I said, we're speaking to Gabby. Does anyone have questions? And we have a question uh, that goes along with that from, let me find it. There's a fair few good ones. Here we go. Snowflake Creative. Um, good day. Yeah. Snowflake Creative. Shanae. Actually, oh, she's an ex-client of mine. Mm -hmm. Hey, Shanae. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, she asks, thoughts on ATP science and their gut health products and their 10-day challenge with it? You've definitely been asked. Uh. Yeah, I've been asked about, and I don't know what the 10 day challenge is. So I'll preface with that, that, you know, I'm, for the most part, I don't um, seek out like information about these supplements, but people send them to me. Um, and I actually, so there have been a couple times when I've kind of posted things that have come across my, my Instagram feed and like called out the company a little bit about some of the claims that they make. Um, one in particular uses claims like, um, blood cleansing chlorophyll and balancing your body's pH and you know everything that you need like you'll never bloat again and things like that I mean these I'm are just all completely... for naming and shaming so <laughs> go ahead oh <and> <laughs> <laughs> uh, man so this one's from first form so I've actually I've, I've posted about that before and I'm kind of you know I don't mind if you want to put a supplement out 
that's fine. Like, just be a little bit more transparent about the claims. And I'm actually, um, I've been reading a lot more about um, kind of dried and processed uh, fruit and vegetable products. And so, you know, my mind is opening a little bit more about the potential efficacy of greens, powders, and supplements that are similar to that. But my mind is not so open that like shit is falling out. It's just, can we see a potential mechanism by which these things could work? Okay, but then we have all these hurdles that we have to jump over first, like looking at dosing. And you know, a lot of times it's going to be just um, a proprietary blend, so we don't know actually what we're getting. And then the bioavailability, and then you know, bioavailability of these things is really low in humans. So they have to actually be processed by the microbiota. And since we all have pretty uh, unique patterns, we may not process those in the same way. So to make statements like that, saying that it's going to be, you know, they're, they're, they're towing the line of what's legal. They can't say that they're going to uh, prevent, treat, or cure any disease, but they can say, because bloating isn't a disease, oh yeah, you know, it'll you know, cure your bloating or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, so I'm familiar with ATP Science. I think their product is called Gut Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's pretty similar to most, in most cases, when we look at products that are for the, the gut, it's going to be some blend of um, probiotics. So, so these are microorganisms that we would ingest for some benefit. They don't have to be alive, but they do have to be adequately dosed and they have to be specific to whatever our issue is. So we can't just take like a kitchen sink probiotic, just a blend of random bacteria, um, and then say like, oh, this is going to benefit everyone. We even know that there are gender-specific responses to probiotics in some cases. So, um, and then they're usually going to add, you know, sometimes they'll add like a small amount of fiber, um, and a fermentable fiber, that is considered to be a prebiotic. So if we have a probiotic with a prebiotic, we call it a symbiotic. And some of those can be beneficial as well. It's not to say that all probiotics don't work. They just work in specific situations. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes they'll have a blend of herbs, adaptogens, um, random other compounds that may or may not be dosed um, you know, within physiologically relevant ranges. And sometimes we don't even know. And sometimes there might be you know, one randomized control trial that was like funded by that company and then nothing confirmatory, which is really an issue. Um, so I would say nine times out of 10 um, that you are going to be better off spending your money on actual food. Uh, and then, you know, if you do need a probiotic uh, because you have some ailment associated with diarrhea, irritable bowel syndrome, or inflammatory bowel disease, um, or emerging evidence shows that they may be helpful to uh, reduce uh, upper respiratory tract infection incidents, that's appropriate, but you'd want to make sure that you're getting the strain of probiotics specific to that issue. And, um, you know, don't, don't bother with the blends, the kitchen sink blends that are going to, you know, that make whatever they say, like good for gut health or curing or treating or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Just skip well, that. The majority of them are very smart too. And they will also generally come alongside a dietary intervention. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They're like, add this and then, you know, whatever other, you know, fruits and vegetables or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say that's what the 10 day challenge. Yeah, it's essentially a a removal of all of the the nasties, the typical nasties you hear about and then an associate. Mm -hmm mega dosing of that particular product, I believe. Do you mind if we oh, have wow. more questions? No, far, far yeah. away. Yeah. By the way, I think uh, we should send some security to your house because the gut health supplement industry is going to send an assassin. 
I know, I know. I'm like, seriously, sometimes I'm like, oh man, you know, they're going to get me for like, there's going to be some litigation for like, I don't know, libel or something. But fortunately, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. That's the bullshit thing in this. They can make all these claims over their products and then you get on there and you're like, I, I, so before I started with, before we started Flex and before I started like working in the industry, I used to sort of troll around on the internet, you know, and be like, tell me why you think that's the case. And just like poke the bear and figure it out. And everyone's like, you're a negative asshole. I'm like, hang on a minute. I'm the one asking the questions. Like you're the one making the claim. And eventually oh, yeah. I'm over it. And it seems to still be the case now. It's like somebody makes a claim, you ask them to, to give you the appropriate like representation of data or the information, they can't provide it and you're the asshole. Like, oh, no, yeah. it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. The burden lies I, on the person making the claim. Yes, yeah. I think now the, the new thing is that like, we're called bullies and sort of, I've been like, I guess like the evidence-based crew now, we're like, we've become clicked, you know? Like people mm. are like, oh, you and the evidence-based community, like you guys are so hoity-toity, you think you're better than everyone else and you bully and it's like, no, I just kind of like point out where fallacies may exist and ask questions and I'm skeptical. Um, you know, I'm willing to change my mind in the face of compelling evidence. It's just that because this field is so new, there's not a lot of compelling evidence. And mm. if you really want to, I, I, I urge everyone to go look up the most, uh, there's a recent piece by Patrice Cani, C-A-N-I, one of the founding fathers of gut microbiome research, recently published an article really talking about this, how we come up with these sort of spurious correlations just because of the nature of statistics, that if we run enough tests, we may come up with a false positive result, and that we have to be very careful about creating causative links where they don't yet exist. That really, it's like, you know, when we thought the world was flat, it was pretty much damn well figured out and like stop trying to change that because it's flat. Well, if, if people hadn't, you know, actually moved science forward, then we would still be thinking that. So it's like we can't, you know, we have to keep our minds open. We have to respond to compelling evidence, but we have to wait for the evidence to be compelling before we change our minds. Absolutely. And you're obviously trying to do that, not because you are a bully, which means you push people down to make yourself better, but rather you're trying to lift everyone else up and get them to understand so they can make more appropriate decisions. Well, it's almost yes. like you're the bully of bullies is really what you are. What do you mean? Like, in, like, <laughs> like the, good, the good crusader. Like oh, there's, you're bullying there's the bully. bullies, which is companies that mm -hmm. bully the small person that doesn't know what to do, can't defend themselves. And then there's a group yeah. of like crusaders, evidence-based crusaders that come on in and smack the bully in the face and go, hey, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, seriously, yesterday, so I posted about like the, um, the IgG food sensitivity test that I saw in Kroger. And I was like, this is lame. This is like $160. People are wasting their money and like lost lots of followers. So I clearly upset somebody. But I was like, that's fine. Because I had one person who messaged me and was like, whoa, I was about to buy one of these tests because one of my friends recommended it. And she was like, no, nah, I won't. I can spend that on textbooks instead. And I was like, Oh, that's yeah. so awesome. Like, hell yes. You know, like goodbye to everyone who hates that. If you don't like science, this is not the place for you to hang out. Yeah. Was it we, I had, a, cool. I had a consult with a girl and like, this isn't my uh, specialty, but she wanted to talk to me about prep. And um, the same thing, she said, oh, I might just go get one more food tolerance test. And I said, I just went, what if I told you they don't test for intolerance, but rather presence? And she went, ah, uh, fuck. <laughs> Like, actually? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, I've been avo avoiding gluten and dairy and you name it for years. 
And then like a week later, she's like, dude, I ate a fucking ice cream. It didn't die. I'm fine. Oh, I think I know who you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. And, the and then she's like, I had some fucking bread. Guess what? I didn't <laughs> die. I'm okay. And I was, cause, but I yes. said, to her, like, please just have the smallest amount. Like if you're going to try this, like don't go and smack a, a, yeah, yeah. a bunch of magnums, you know? But anyway, anyway right, yeah. that moment too, I'm just like, Jesus, for years, this poor thing has lived in a bubble basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Saving the world one person at a time. <laughs> Trying. Uh, right. So we're going to, there we go. Dean's just showing me how to work technology. I'm trying to get to all <laughs> I'm, I'm still learning. Oh no, what happened? <laughs> oh, it won't be that. You just breathe a free Hey, time. you know when you're like trying to teach your grandma how to do something and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> How, how do you understand this? That's me and him. He like teaches me simple shit and I'm like, I, I don't get it. You, you can do it. I'm keeping a pen and paper. That's what's happening right now. Um, okay, so I think we'll get to Zach's question, which Zane. is really, oh, sorry, Zane. Thank you, um, Zane. I also can't read. So typical negative impacts of poor gut health, even though we mm. established that is a problematic term, mm. and how to self-assess gut health. Mm. Oh, that's a million dollar question. So, we can't really self-assess the gut microbiome. Like there's not a way for us to know who's there or what they're doing. We can look at stool quality. Um, and that's one way that we can sort of determine if there might be a disease present or uh, a food intolerance, which is enzyme mediated or perhaps a food allergy. Now, certainly if you eat something and you break out in hives and your throat starts to tighten up, you're having an anaphylactic reaction. That is an allergy. You need to go to the hospital or shoot yourself in the leg with a happy pen. Um, you know, one of those, one of those two. So that's a little bit easier to identify. Now that's an IgE mediated allergy. You can also have a non IgE mediated allergy. And that would manifest as extreme gastric distress, like you're vomiting or having, um, you know, explosive diarrhea uh, within a short period of time after eating a food. So if you're experiencing that regularly, you just want to go see a gastroenterologist um, and, you know, get checked out. Other red flags would be if you have um, really black tarry stools, if you have blood in your stool, if you are waking up in the middle of the night frequently to have bowel movements, those are signs that you need to visit a gastroenterologist. If you are experiencing um, chronic constipation, so quite often you're straining to, to have a bowel movement and it's coming out in sort of like little rabbit pellets, go to a gastroenterologist. <laughs> so you might be noticing a trend here that if, if you know, we're seeing things out of the ordinary like that, yeah, go to a gastroenterologist and they'll perform um, the, the appropriate assessments. Um, and that's how we can really assess, you know, that's, that's looking at pathology, not really assessing what's going on with the gut microbiome. Mm. Now, if you are, you know, sometimes experiencing gas, bloating, or your stool is a little bit soft, or sometimes you're experiencing constipation, then you still might want to go see a gastroenterologist just to make sure. And if you have a clean bill of health, so the anatomy and physiology of your gastrointestinal tract is normal then what you're probably looking at is uh, a combination of diet and or lifestyle factors that are having an impact on the way that you are digesting your food. Mm -hmm. Quite often, what people are really having a difficult time with would be those fermentable fibers. We call them FODMAPs. And they're found in a lot of nutritious foods. So plenty of whole grains, fruits, vegetables, nuts, legumes contain these fermentable fibers that when they reach the large intestine, as they will do, because we don't digest those fibers, they are fermented by the bacteria and that can lead to the production of gas, which can cause some uh, bloating and some gas. 
In other cases, they are uh, those fibers or those other types of saccharides or carbohydrates may pull water into the gut because they are what we call osmotically active. And that can lead to feelings of bloating. It can also lead to uh, loose stools. And when we have a lot of water and a lot of gas in the gut and it's causing the small intestine especially to stretch out a lot, some individuals have some of what we call um, hypersensitivity, so visceral hypersensitivity. That means that they're going to be experiencing stronger than normal pain signals coming up from the intestines. And so that would manifest just as, as physical pain. So if you're experiencing those things, then certainly you could go to a gastroenterologist still. They can still help you manage those, but it could just come down to simply dietary intervention where you're going through a systematic process of uh, removing, testing, and reintroducing those FODMAP foods. And Monash University is actually, um, they've actually developed the low FODMAP diet and that whole process to help people identify what might be causing issues. Or you could just be, you know, if you have something like, you know, something like lactose intolerance or fructose malabsorption, many individuals struggle with that, but that's really just dose dependent. So even in individuals with lactose intolerance, they can still tolerate some amount of dairy. So you really would kind of just want to, you know, look at your stool quality and look at how you're feeling throughout the day but know that you're not really on your own going to be able to, to thoroughly assess the presence or absence of a disease or what's going on with your microbiome. Yeah, I think we can see now why you are the poo expert. <laughs> um, would you direct people here to the Bristol stool chart maybe? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So the Bristol stool scale is one um, tool that you can use. You usually want to be aiming for about a three or a four on the Bristol stool scale. Um, and, you know, it, it's not abnormal, like to have a, a bout of constipation every once in a while, or sometimes you might have more loose stools every once in a while. Um, but it's looking for those patterns where it's starting to happen more frequently that you just, you know, go hit up a gastroenterologist. But mm -hmm. this idea that now people are saying that, like, you should never experience bloating, you should never have gas. Um, I think that uh, most individuals in the medical field would probably disagree with that, that you, it's not abnormal to sometimes have some bloating and sometimes have some gas. Yeah. Yeah. Just not constant and chronic. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, so shall we move on to yep. Davy's question? How big of a role do genetics play in gut health and is mm. healthy? Is a healthy gut realistic for everyone? Yeah. Ah, that's a good question, actually. So we can sort of determine um, a hierarchy of uh, environmental and internal influences on the, the, the microbial profile. So um, if you think of the gut microbiome as an ecosystem, which it kind of is, um, we have some, some organisms that are specific to uh, us as humans, just like if we're looking at you know, different planets. So there are going to be a group of organisms within our microbiome that are specific to humans. Then there's going to be a larger group that's specific to us as individuals. What shapes that overall? Uh, location is one of the biggest factors. And location actually has a stronger impact than genetics. And diet and physical activity have a lesser impact than environment, but we don't really know how they compare so much to genetics. 
So just like we may have a genetic predisposition to developing obesity, but it's really the environmental factors that make the difference, we see the same thing with the microbiome. And overall, it's very stable. So the, the profile, the, the uh, inhabitants of our gut stay pretty stable throughout our entire lives. If we do something like a dietary or physical activity intervention, we may be able to modify about 15 to 20% of that population. But once that dietary or exercise intervention stops, we go back to baseline. And then we look at the thing, things like the impact of antibiotics may have a really minuscule impact up to a pretty uh, uh, large impact depending on the type of antibiotic and the individual. So we don't have kind of a clear picture of, you know, the magnitude in terms of like numbers, but just in terms of the hierarchy, a lot of things that we can't change will have an impact as well, like our gender and our age. Mm -hmm. So that's what our, that's kind of what we're working with right now. Like if we take two individuals who have uh, obesity, but we compare them across to different countries, even though they both have obesity, uh, they will look different from country to country. But what's really interesting is that we're now discovering this concept of functional convergence. So even though the inhabitants are different, their functions are actually very much the same. So just like we can have different species uh, in, one, in one country versus another, but they act in sort of the same way. So that's kind of where we're standing right now because we've looked a lot at kind of who's there and we haven't been able to look so much at what they're doing because it's more invasive and it's more expensive. But now we're starting to see that, you know, this idea of gut health, of what's a healthy gut, we don't have that clear picture because healthy controls look different around the world. And what's probably mo more important is not really who's there, but what are they doing? So we want to look not just at um, diversity of the species of the organisms, but also diversity of the genes and what genes are actually being expressed. So we want to look at the function of the gut where we really see uh, problems there is, and this is really interesting sort of new emerging data, um, when we're looking at individuals who have uh, gastrointestinal disease, we don't really see a clear picture of you know, a, a specific uh, profile that correlates with that disease. But what we find is that even though who's there is the same, what they're doing is different. And it looks like they may have lower functional diversity. So the capacity of the gut to do the things, the capacity of the microbiome to do things is reduced, even though the inhabitants are the same. Mm, right. I think the really clear picture you're painting here is you have spent a very long time uh, understanding all of this stuff and then people come along and make these wild general claims and we really should be... <laughs> ignoring the fuck out of them. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's usually what I do. Or I just ask them questions or try to bring things up like, hey, you know, you know, in context, X, Y, and Z, and try to kind of avoid dogma. Although I have been called um, a strong advocate for fiber. So that's, that's oh. my bias. Okay. That's terrible. Love it. <laughs> um, that's a terrible thing to be an advocate for. So it sounds like the, uh, the context-specific nature of this is really that the environment and the bacteria in that specific environment is kind of, really the the thing that people will look at like i think this is uh is a, a good representation of where they look at the uh the microbiome of say like african tribes is quite high in x microbiome yes. and then it's inverted over here and then over here we'll say that particular one is bad but over there it's clearly not bad because they're otherwise healthy 
Yes, exactly. So it's it's context. When we're looking at um, uh, species that are really good at uh, energy harvesting, so they can ferment those fibers to short-chain fatty acids. Quite often, those short-chain fatty acids are correlated with positive health outcomes, and we see that they're enriched in the guts of athletes. We see that they can help um, you know individuals in these developing countries thrive because we're increasing energy availability uh, in the diet. But if you then you know take that in the context of a developed of a developed country westernized countries where we have plenty of food available we don't necessarily want that same level of energy harvesting capability um, you know but we have it anyway and so it's it's very similar too to um, intramuscular triglycerides they can be very problematic in an individual with obesity but they are a training adaptation in elite athletes so context really matters mm, absolutely um, now we've got an awesome question from coach Shannon. She asks, <laughs> when are we chilling in Milan? <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, so I actually just registered for a, a world gut microbiome summit in Madrid in March. So if anyone else is going to be there, say hi. I was kind of like, I have a lot of travel planned in March and I was like, oh man, this is going to be crazy, super, super crazy going across the country and out of the country and whatnot. So, oh, um, yeah, so she and I are going to be meeting up at uh, random intervals this year. <laughs> Dean and I actually just yesterday booked a trip to Spain ourselves. But July. <gasps> yeah, July. Oh, man. Uh, I'll be over. I'll, like, we're going to be in Australia then. Yeah, the uh, end of July. We, it's because yeah. he's like, actually having his 30th. So it's kind of like we, we ended up at that sort of time. It was just the way it was. Um, oh, you have to give me, because you're going to Spain first, you have to give me the traveler's tips. We're flying out of Barcelona, but we want to go somewhere else first. And everyone on the interwebs is telling me San Sebastian is mm. the place to be. Oh, have you been oh well, I'm I know I'm only going, this will be my first time. So I'm going to Madrid and I'll be there. Like I'm going to a microbiome conference in uh, San Diego. So um, UC Davis is sort of one of the other hotbeds of gut microbiome research with Rob Knight. So I'm going to a summit there. And then literally like the day that ends, I'm flying to Madrid and then I'll be there for about a week. And then I come back and I will be going to, um, uh, a haze summit so i'm coming back to atlanta just for like four days for for a haze seminar a one-day seminar because like that's my other that's my other passion so oh, um yeah cool. it'll be fun on march man that's another can of worms i'd love to open up with you but um i, I just think maybe that's a podcast for another day Definitely yes day. yes yeah yeah that's really cool I, another one where there's lots of misconceptions and misunderstandings mm -hmm. and a yeah. huge band of supporters and a huge band of like people who bash them and no oh yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Shall we? Just a yes. quick final question. I think you might be able to wrap this up relatively quickly, which is from Pete. Is what is the biggest misconception surrounding gut health today? Uh, probably that we have a good that we have good or bad gut health. That we can determine that and that we can um, cause it, you know, in one way or the other, or that we have these causative links between the gut and anything else between the gut microbiome and anything else. We just haven't been able to establish those links yet. So um, not to say that, you know, uh, just, you know, 
throw the, throw the whole thing out and YOLO, but just, you know, maybe do those things, maybe eat the fruits and vegetables and exercise and prioritize sleep and stress management um, because it's good for you. And maybe it affects the gut microbiome. Maybe it's good for gut health. And, you know, we do have a lot of evidence that a lot of those things can ease some of the symptoms of gastrointestinal diseases and syndromes. Um, but maybe like take a step back from thinking I'm going to like remodel my gut microbiome. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Love it. Mm -hmm. um, do you have other questions? Up? No, that's it. All right. Now, not yet. No, 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 I mean the oh, segment. No, I don't know. So. Okay. <laughs> so we, we play this game called uh, Would You Rather with our guests. Oh, that's Okay. First, first, we'll get, so first thing we, when we, uh, first of all, thank you for all the information. Yes. Um, this little section is the first thing we get to go to is all guests we ask them if they have something worth sharing. Um, and now that can be anything of any type of importance with life, fitness, nutrition, health, education, uh, education that you think is worth sharing to the, the, the people's. Mm -hmm. uh, so oh, man. Okay. is there anything that you think you have uh, watched, listened or looked at recently that you think is worth sharing? Um, I would say that I strongly recommend, there are a few books that I think are great on the gut microbiome. Um, one would be Fundamentals of Microbiome Research by Douglas or Fundamentals of Microbiome Science by Douglas. Um, the other one is, oh man, now I can't remember because it's been a while since I read it. Um, well, The Good Gut by the Sonnenbergs is another one that I really like. And um, that paper that I mentioned by, by Connie, like that is, it's an op-ed. I mean, it's not a research article, but I think it's really, uh, really worth reading. Um, and then I can send you guys the link because I can't think of it right now. And I don't think that I have it open. Do well, I? Put it in our show no, notes. I don't. That's okay. Yeah, put it in your show notes. But yeah, it's a list of all of the uh, seminars and summits and symposia on gut microbiome for this entire year. And what's important to note is that even if you can't go quite often, you can purchase the, or even just view um, the lectures and things like that afterwards. So I think it's really worth it. And we have, um, there are gut microbiome uh, things that I've put together for RP plus for revive stronger and for stronger experts. Um, so those are all posted up on my website too. So if you want to learn more about the gut microbiome um, might, might want to start there. Well, that's a Beautiful. deep place to start. Resources, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. That's awesome. All right, we're now up to the, the into the lightning rounds. Yeah. Okay. Okay. First question: What color is your underwear? <laughs> what if I'm not wearing any? <laughs> Flesh colored. <laughs> that wasn't a real question. Um, but one thing that I think you, oh man, some people's answers to this have surprised me. Like, what is the meaning of life? And like, mm. whatever. But I think you'd have a wicked answer. If you could understand anything at all, any sort of mystery, economic, biological, doesn't matter, what would it be? Awesome. Oh, man. Uh, I understand any sort of mystery. I would want to know how mitochondria entered the cell. Like, you know, how, how did we, how did that happen? Because that was really like how we were able to develop into like multi-celled organisms and things like that. Like, how did that actually happen? You know, there's a whole theory that like that was one cell and then they were phagocytosed by another cell. And instead of breaking it down, the mitochondria just existed in there. And then the energy capacity of the cell was, you know, so greatly enhanced. So I think that would be really cool. And, you know, like who doesn't want to know about the origin of life? Like, how did that happen? You know, in the primordial soup, uh, we had all these just like organic materials and there was like some electricity and then all of a sudden, boom, like, so, yeah. 
You're Probably a giant that. nerd. That made I it sound like back, back to the Future moment, though. There was a bunch of electricity that I can just pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> it is true, though. How sick! Um, incredible to see an, a legitimate time lapse of yes. that evolution, just to go like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure someone's probably made one, but it's obviously not real because they weren't there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what's something about you that would surprise us? Mm. Oh my gosh, I don't know. I feel like the internet like knows so much about my life, even though they Everyone don't. Has like, secrets, I'm, Gabby. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. Um, something about me that would surprise you. I. Gosh, I don't know. This is tough. Okay, I've got one. I used to be a music therapy major. So mm. when I went to college, my first, I, I sang for my entire life um, and I was going to be a music therapy major. And then after my first semester, I realized like I didn't really like art appreciation. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and all the history stuff. And I was really just shit at playing piano and guitar. And so I switched to recreational therapy and then it made the switch again to exercise science. Right. So music therapy isn't actually using music for therapeutic purpose. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's like a, a, like a, I can't remember what it is now, but it's sort of like a complementary therapy. So a person might be going through like cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, working with a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and then they could be working with um, a music therapist as well. And so um, because music is sort of universal and it's, it's quite often um, a, a more, um, I guess, I can't think of the word right now because my brain isn't working because I'm still jet lagged, but um, <laughs> it's a way that people can communicate kind of more readily if words are not available to them. Mm. So that's yeah. cool. I like it. You know, someone tells you something new and then you immediately have like a flash of what that may look like. I pictured person in the chair mm-hmm. at the psychologist's office, the psychologist mm. talking to them and then in the corners, just you standing there with a the book up singing operatically. Just <laughs> <laughs> And then the person is going through their emotions. I thought it would be brilliant. Oh, that's I wish, I wish it could be singing. It was like a lot of musical instrument stuff. And I, was, I, couldn't, I just couldn't pick it up. And so I was like, all right, maybe this isn't for me. Oh, that's amazing. That does surprise me. That's a good one. <laughs> cool, cool. I'm into it. I wasn't even aware of that. So that's great. Kind of cool. Now, Gabby, if you could choose a way to die, you knew you were going to die tomorrow, what method would you choose and why? Oh, man. Um, I probably, I mean, I would probably say like while sleeping, because then you kind of don't know. Um, But you know, I've thought a lot about like the concept of death. This sounds weird. But I think it's going to be like that time before you were born. You know, like you can't comprehend that. Like think of the time before you were born. Like that doesn't exist. You can't even really think of that moment. So yeah, I feel like it would just be kind of like you go to sleep and then maybe nothing. Or if anyone has seen, oh, I can't, I think the movie was called like DMT, the spirit molecule. So um, that's sort of a trippy alternate version of what happens after death, which is like your consciousness just can explore the world and then like re-inhabit someone else. So why not just die on DMT? Yeah. Yeah, sure. There you go. Or like, well, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, we're like at the end of like a skydive, but like, no, because then you'd know the whole time you're skydiving. Yeah. That would not be the way. Yeah. So I'm just going to go like in my sleep, like after just like a super awesome fun day or Mm. maybe yeah, a drug bender. Sure. (laughs) That was Shannon's choice of death, a drug bender. 
Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> We've changed her. Maybe, yeah. Maybe you guys shouldn't travel together. We've corrupted her. <laughs> well, we, if you go missing, you know. <laughs> have you ever bungee jumped? <laughs> no, I haven't. No, I think I'm kind of... It's, it's the death moment before in a skydive. So like you jump. Oh yeah. And then when you jump, like all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. And then, oh, I'm alive. And then that's the moment of elation. You know, you're just like, oh, I survived. It's the best part about it. It's the fucking worst. Oh, it's the pit. I guess, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think, I can, I, this is another thing you guys might not know. I used to be a, a rock climbing instructor. So like, I'm not afraid of heights. If I am like geared up and climbing and mm. I'm in a harness, I'm okay. But like with bungee jumping, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. I, I, I actually don't like heights. Yet I find bungee jumping quite thrilling. Gabby, wow. are you like 74 years old? How have you done so much in your life? <laughs> I don't know. I just started really young, but maybe it's just my good gut health. It keeps me young. <laughs> it provides you all the necessary energy to live yeah, life. Yeah, I just take, I take greens powders every day. I'm actually 97. <laughs> you look amazing. It's that right, right ATP supplement, isn't it? Yes. yes. They're gonna have a, they're gonna have a new colored zone for people like you. You're out of the blue zone. What would it be like? The purple zone. It's like just fully fledged high life. <gasps> all right now uh we used to ask would you rathers to our guests and i mm -hmm. would make them up and just pull out weird shit from my brain because that happens easily for me but for christmas um in our secret santa we got gifted this uh card. choices what and a great name for you again that's so perfect i know i know and we're just gonna pick one at random now i warn you some okay. of these are very boring but some of them are very nasty okay okay Oh, okay. We know this one. Would you rather know every bad thing that everyone thinks about you or everyone knows every bad thing you think about them? Oh, man. Mm. You know, I feel like it's part of my personality to like be very critical of myself. And so probably I'm thinking that the, all the bad things that other people think about me are not as bad as the things that I think they think about me. <laughs> okay. so, uh, so maybe it would actually behoove me to like hear the other bad things that other people think about me. And then I'm like, Oh, is that it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, wow. I had you guys all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And there are some shockers in that game. They will, they will make you sit on your hands and cringe before you answer. The cool thing about this game oh, is being in a beat, and then everyone has to dump their card at the same time. So all uh, the there's a dodgy sex one, right? You might mm -hmm. be like, you know, like, would you rather have sex with your mom or have Which sex with your dad? Aid. You yeah. know? Which, and then the, the yeah. person drops the card, and you're like, oh, your dad, really? Like, it's, you can get awkward quick. Yeah, it's a good oh, man. Uh, I play this with Mike. Uh, like when, when we've traveled this past year, like that's Mike. Probably he could write those cards for them. He'll be like a, a he'll be like a Hallmark card author, but for like the shitty choices game. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna text you some really shitty choices that you can play with Mike. He, I'm the queen. That's of awesome. But he would also <laughs> he would be terrible to play with. He not he would not come up with nice ones. No, he would. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, he really uh, wouldn't. Um, all right. And I think that's a wrap. Gabby, you have expanded our brains beyond the size of our skull so everyone's minds have exploded. Uh, there's going to be brain juices everywhere at the end. Awesome. Of better, better than like poop juices. I think <laughs> brain juices are better. Which would probably be more appropriate for the poops, but. Yes. <laughs> but, you know. <gasps> Where can people find you if they would like to find you? 
Um, don't come find me in my bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so vitamin PhD, um, on Instagram and Facebook, vitamin PhD nutrition.com is my website. And then my, my, my goofy, just single headshot is posted on places like that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Revive stronger RP plus. Yeah. Oh, that'd be a good one. You know, actually when I was at UABC, they didn't have like a, a full body shot of me. So like they put our faces on this cake and they just like photoshopped my head on someone else's body. <laughs> and, then, and that person was really tall. And I was like, Oh man, <laughs> if only. Um, so yeah, so absolutely <laughs> reach out to me um, on Instagram. I try to answer all um, DMS and whatnot. Um, even if, you know, you want to say something bad, bad to me, tell me what you think about me. It's okay. Yeah, you just got to send this back. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think you've given everyone permission to say bad things to you because yeah, that's what you chose. So yes, exactly. Yeah, you got to mm-hmm. sleep in it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Thanks, everyone. Absolutely. Bye. Bye.